Hey everyone, I'm Swati Rawat and welcome to the Visionary Podcast where I talk to visionary Indian women with inspiring, intriguing and aspirational stories. How driven one should be to be able to work at the World Bank in their 20s and start a business in their 30s. In the 8th episode, the visionary is Aditi Banerjee. She is the co-founder of Magic Billion, a global talent management firm which bridges the demand-supply gap for skilled workers. Before embarking on her entrepreneurial journey, Aditi worked for over 10 years in multilateral financial institutions, venture philanthropy and management consulting. Tune in as Aditi shares her experience working with the World Bank being a part of founding team of Malcolm Gladwell's Surco Foundation and the vision she's charting out for Magic Billion. Well, I'm a I'm a very typical army kid. Um grew up um, across I think uh, seven or eight cities in India. Okay. Uh changed as many number of schools. Hmm. And uh, I think every year or every two years we were moving. Hmm. I'm an only child, so Uh, I was attached to the family, yeah. um, and uh, really all all grew up in all parts of India, small cities, large cities, north, south, east, west, pretty much very, yeah. very very Indian at heart that way. Yeah. Um, till finally we landed up in Bangalore, where I went for my um, class eleven, uh, twelve. So I did okay. my high school from. and post that we moved to delhi and then i studied economics at lady shriram hmm. and since then delhi is home so now of course my family settled in delhi and that's what i call home okay and um, so you studied in um, lsr right and you studied economics yes. so yes. um because your professional profile is so comprehensive um when you went for your masters uh did you directly go after like uh, completing your bachelor's or did you gain some work experience first and then you opted for your masters for your mpp yeah you know so i mean the idea was to go immediately after but those yeah. were the days in the us so this is 2005 yeah seems like ages ago <laughs> uh, when uh, when um, you know the us required 16 years of education before yeah. you could apply yeah. and india being india of course our bachelor's degrees are 3 years yeah, yeah. so they still do in some, some colleges they still do they still do i see yeah. because i mean in my time at george washington where i where i went to study they had already removed it but of mm. course it had to happen after my year yeah um so i needed this one year so i had enrolled for a masters in economics um but it was in in correspondence i literally was doing it just to get my one more year in so i could formally apply yeah. but while yeah. i was enrolled in that i was also working with the un in delhi okay and working on uh, building their volunteer program so uh, it started the, the tsunami in 2004 that's how i got associated with them and then yeah. post lsr i joined them for about 8 to 10 months to sort of help build that volunteer program for them mm-hmm. so um once you mm-hmm. completed your masters was it right after when you joined the world bank and yeah so 
Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, when I was uh, graduating from LSR, I remember yeah. our uh, principal, then principal, who's a very hallowed principal of um, of LSR, uh, mm. MG, we call her Minakshi Gopinath. She, um, I was very, very fond of her and, you know, she knew me well. We had done some stuff together in college. And um, I remember the day we were graduating, she yeah. took me aside and she told me, uh, Aditi, I don't know what you're planning to do in your life, but I think mm-hmm. you're all set to be a diplomat. That's that's the kind of uh, person I see you to be. Okay. Uh, so I think it sort of just stuck with me. Um, and when I went to do my master's in public policy yeah. in the US, it just so happened that across the road pretty much was the World Bank. I mean, that's DC, hmm. right? It's a very hmm. government-come-multi- uh, and bilateral kind of uh, city. Yeah. So as a matter of fact, even before I graduated from my master's in my last semester, hmm. I joined the bank in okay. my last semester. So I joined as a consultant initially. All right. And then, of course, I stayed on for almost six years after that. Wow. That's a pretty long time and I'm sure your uh, work over there um, had been pretty amazing. It was absolutely fabulous. I mean, yeah. there's no other way to, to put across <laughs> my time there. Uh, some great people to work with, some great geographies to work in. I think I traveled to maybe 30 countries just in my six years. Wow. Uh, and I was working on this uh, portfolio called uh, Disaster Risk Management okay. Okay. and Climate Change. So really looking at um, my core geography of focus was the Middle East, North Africa region. Yeah. So it was about, and it, it, at that time, and I think even now, it's the highest urbanizing uh, region of the world. Hmm. So that's how quickly people are moving to cities. So yeah. obviously cities to be equipped to manage those kind of people, you know, in terms yeah. of housing, in terms of, in terms of drainage, in terms of sewage, you name it, right? Everything, mm-hmm. a city has to be prepared. Um, so my, my role was really to think about what happens in the case of a natural hazard. So if there's a flood or a yeah. drought or an earthquake, you know, mm-hmm. how should cities be planned better to avoid the disaster which comes from that hazard? Wow. So that's what I was doing. And it was, it was really, I mean, it was absolutely great being in my 20s and meeting with the ministers of finance and the yeah. prime ministers of countries and getting to talk about the big hard decisions and the trade-offs they have to make yeah. as leaders of their countries. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and how do you think this, this experience shaped you in your 20s? Because it is like... It is not something that everyone gets to experience, right? It's not just a corporate job in a in a big firm or um, any other managerial thing. The work mm-hmm. that you were doing was directly impacting people. And in your 20s, you were meeting such um, decision makers from these mm-hmm. developing countries. How did it shape mm-hmm. you as a, you know, as a woman, as a human during your 20s? Mm-hmm. So I think, I mean, very early on, I knew that, uh, you know, development can be looked at in two ways. Either you can look at macro level development where you say, I'm going to focus on policy level stuff and that policy will then impact millions of people. Or Hmm. you say, I'm going to target uh, problems at a village level and really 
provide comprehensive support at that level, learn what happens there and then scale it, right? So you yeah. can either do it micro or micro. And I think I always knew that I was a macro person. Okay. So the World Bank Pathway is a very macro organization because it deals at national and international levels. It yeah. does uh, lesser work at a village or a district level, right? It, it's yeah. sort of much larger in magnitude uh, because scale is the name of the game there. So in terms of how it shaped me in my 20s, I would say that it gave me a lot of perspective in terms of uh, some of the difficulties in making decisions hmm. at levels. I think it's it's very easy to be an armchair pundit and sit back and say, oh, this should happen and that should happen and why aren't yeah. you know leaders doing better? And yeah, it's how very easy to say that. So even we've all done it at some point in our lives. But you know, when you're actually talking to those leaders and they're telling you the kinds of pros and cons they're having to think about and the kinds mm. of implications of those pros and cons, it really broadens your thinking to say, oh, wow, like I never thought of this. Yeah. Okay, so these are the big things people are actually thinking about. Yeah. So um, that, that was very helpful in my 20s. But I have to say that in retrospect, uh, and I always say this at different career forums, I think the World Bank, if you really want to make an impact, the World yeah. Bank is a better place to go back to after you've tried different things hmm. and go back to the bank, perhaps in your 40s and 50s, when you've had about 15, 20 years of experience, you know, and yeah. you take that back there rather than uh, spending your entire career there, you know, yeah. because then you're is very siloed so um i would also like to understand because i was reading up on your profile that you have keen interest in behavioral economics as well so uh, i'm just uh, intrigued to know did that like uh, did that originate from uh, when you were studying economics for your bachelor's or did it happen while you were working professionally and then um, you did use a lot of behavioral economics you know stats and terms while uh, um, tackling a set of problems Hmm. So I've always been been interested in people. Let's okay. start with that. I think even as a kid, I used to be very observant of people and how they behave and why they behave a certain way. So I still remember in high school, I wanted to uh, become a psychologist. Oh, really? But yeah, and and I would have completely changed the shape of my life if I had done that. But yeah. of course, India being, being India, you can't be a psychologist unless you had taken sciences in your high school. And I had commerce with math, so there was yeah. no way I could have gotten into that field at all. Uh, so, of course, having studied economics, um, I sort of tried to, you know cover both of those uh, the human aspect and the econ aspect of it and started thinking about how do people make uh, economic decisions yeah. you know at all levels um, of socioeconomic stratas yeah. and how do you how, what do you think about when you make those decisions and it was i, I got very lucky because um, I got the opportunity to work with um, a venture philanthropy fund called Sugo Foundation. Uh, yeah, it's was, by Malcolm Gladwell, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's great. I, I, was a, I was a big fan of Malcolm before I joined, and I was one of the Yes, yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> so you know, so of course, because I was interested in behavioral econ, Malcolm's books were speaking very keenly to my interest. Yeah. Um, or Tipping Point or all of these books that he's written. And um, when I was, you know, 
offered this job of being a founding employee for them i think i was the third person to join the team oh wow i jumped obviously <laughs> yeah it was fabulous because the kind of work we were doing there was trying to understand when people say something are they truly meaning what they are saying or mm. do they have an underlying norm or a behavior pattern which is cultural perhaps yeah which they are not which they are not speaking about loudly but if you ask them to act that's how they would do it yeah and how is you know i mean and all of this comes to fruition right like if you look at trump getting elected huh. in all the political debates and all the surveys which were conducted there was no chance of him yeah. winning yeah yeah and then he, won. he was nowhere close yeah close but then he won yeah and that's when you start thinking okay so all the things that people were saying in the surveys they didn't actually mean it hmm because or, they went or, in or maybe you know, the people who took the surveys were um, very biased in a way where they were going to selected places and not going to like the deep um, right uh, leaning you know states where the average mm-hmm. blue collar mm-hmm. american These are national interviewed and asked for his opinion. Yeah, but these are like national level surveys which are highly respected. Hmm. So uh, CNN, for example, will never report something which is uh, you know uh, completely focused on the left. I mean, I would yeah, think that yeah. they would, but yeah. but they would still not be in darkness. Yeah. Nobody wants to be in darkness, right? You don't yeah. want to be surprised this way. Yeah. But then when you see these results you realize okay so there's a lot happening behind the scenes hmm. which are very norms related they are yeah. not um very um you know they are not very mind related they are actually hmm. norms and behavior related yeah. so what surgo was doing was trying to create platforms where this norms data could get collected okay and then you could play that uh, behavior data into development decisions So a very simple example uh, i think it was gates uh, where uh, you know they did this work on um, what was it malaria prevention hmm. in um, in no no sorry it was uh, for contraception they were working with women and trying to tell them use female condoms or speak to your husbands about using condoms and things like that hmm. and nothing was happening and then when they did a study they realized women are not the decision makers in most of these poor households so yeah. even if they tell their husband the husband's not going to listen yeah. so they switched how they were having the conversation and who they were having the conversation with yeah. and they started focusing on the mother in laws and the husbands and that's okay. when the dip came interesting so you know, it, it's very fascinating the space but i'll pause there because i can go on about this <laughs> that's completely okay so um so mm. uh, what was the like how did magic billion come along what was the vision behind starting it mm. so you know we co-founded this company together a year and a half ago in january of last okay. year okay okay and now as of yesterday i have moved into this uh, role of being a co-founder and an entrepreneur 100% of my time um so look i mean my my dad and i have been talking about doing something together for many years now hmm. and he is someone who has always been um you know very vocal about leaving behind a legacy so what are we doing which stays after we are gone right and 
how can we sort of impact lives in multitudes hmm. right so he's i've sort of grown up hearing that um yeah. and very fortuitously um i think in 2017 uh, we had gone for a friend's wedding to romania and um after the wedding he was driving us to his mountain home so we i was sitting with him in the co-driver seat so he and his father have a heavy machinery company in romania okay. okay so i was chatting with him about how his business is going and he said you know we are really struggling because we've got all this demand and we don't have any people okay. so i said but what about the romanians so he said well they all want to move to western europe because it's part of schengen so they can easily move to a france or in italy nobody wants to live in romania mm. and all the youngsters don't want to work in heavy machinery they'd rather be in it jobs mm. so he was really struggling despite having this huge demand from clients okay so i of course being an indian where yeah. you can't walk on a street in india without bumping into 10 people hmm. i started thinking okay we've got this huge talent pool sitting in india yeah. who would probably never even think of romania as a destination yeah so can we not help this guy here with people from india yeah and we would love to be here so i called up my dad from there who had by then spent a decade in this industry in india post the army Yeah. he was in this uh, talent and skill space having worked with the government and nsdc and all of that hmm. so i gave him a call and i said uh, you know he's really struggling can we help yeah and that was sort of a eureka moment for both of us thinking okay so this is actually the business <laughs> idea that we can grow into a company for us yeah and uh, that's how it all started for us and now of course we are we are helping about 10 clients globally um, oh that's great Fifteen hundred to two thousand people already out of India, hmm. and really, what we do is we support global employers who are really struggling to find the right quality of skilled people, okay, and the right quantity of skilled people. Okay, um, a lot of employers also have requirements in terms of uh, soft skills, so they want people to be able to adapt to the culture of the country where you know they live. Hmm. um so all of those things language requirements so on these three parameters we then find people in india facilitate yeah. the process yeah. and then manage the entire immigration and work permit process so it's a end to end solutioning company from okay. first finding the employer who's struggling to yeah. having the person sitting in their office that's that's pretty great and uh, how long has magic billion been like how old is it this company so it's it's uh, going to be 2 years soon we incorporated in january of 2018 okay that's well that's great and i am yeah. uh, curious to know like from uh, working in public sector to now being a full time entrepreneur um how has the journey been and like are you have you always wanted to get into entrepreneurship a uh, short answer is no <laughs> i never <laughs> thought i'd be an entrepreneur honestly yeah. I, my husband has has been very jealous because he thought he'll be an entrepreneur before me because <laughs> he's always been talking yeah. about it um so i think uh, to answer your first question first how it's been from you know moving from the public sector to this um it's been it's been a journey yeah i think if i had moved directly from uh, the world bank to this it would have been a shocker 
But because post the World Bank, which is more public sector, I would say, to then joining BCG, where you know I was a management consultant, so yeah. already hitting the private sector and seeing how decisions are made and why some decisions are made the way they are, yeah. uh, to then getting into venture philanthropy and then of course you know advising the royal family here on impact investing. I think I've always been on that cusp of private and public, hmm. you know, and be it on the finance side or on the implementation side, I've always brought private and public together throughout. Yeah. So. One big thing that I that I realized I wanted to do was make decisions quickly, hmm. and um, and do things which could move um, sort of at a pace which was more to my liking. And that happens much more in the private sector when you're in the driver's seat. Hmm. So B two B engagements that way, of course, are slower than B two C engagements. Yeah. But they are much, much quicker than G2G engagements, for example. Yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. So that's how, yeah, that's how I think it's been. But um, I mean, I'm absolutely loving being an entrepreneur and being <laughs> able to build your team and, uh, you know, being the CEO and the janitor at the same time. Yeah. Uh, doing literally everything from making decks to thinking about the vision of the company to making HR manuals to having yeah. clients. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're part of everything. Yeah. And I'm sure it must be um, humbling to see when you, you know, get these skilled workers and put them in an international market and just, just train them enough to um, be employable by these um, uh, companies and all these industries. It must be a great experience to see that transition amongst people and seeing like you can, you can make that change into the, these people's lives. Oh, it's absolutely amazing, Swati. You know, the the 12 uh, Indian boys who are currently in this small city in Romania called Cluj. I'm okay. calling it small, even though I think it's the second largest city in, in Romania. Okay. But for the Indians who've gone there, it's a very tiny city. Yeah. And, um, it, you know, it's, uh, most of these guys have never traveled abroad. Yeah. So here you are, you know, sitting in the middle of uh, all their excitement. And I was there when they landed in Romania. I, I made it a point to be there to, yeah. you know, pick them up from the airport. And, um, you know, just the sparkle in their eye to be <laughs> in, this, uh, in this new... See, all of us do new jobs. Yeah. But really going three levels up and going to a new country altogether. Yeah. All your colleagues are foreigners. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so, of course, uh, by courtesy of WhatsApp and technology today, we have a group going with all of these different countries where we send people. Yeah. And uh, these boys on video Skype are telling us, you know, these Romanians on the shop floor, they're so friendly. They take us to the supermarket in their <laughs> car and they're teaching us Romanian. That's and, so nice. <laughs> you know, meeting their families. It's, it's, it's really great. And if you look at it in terms of salaries, it's almost three times what they're earning in India. Yeah. So pretty much uh, you had, you've changed the lifestyle of that entire family. Yeah. You know, being yeah. Abroad, and when we send IT workers, for example, to the Nordics, yeah. they move with their families and everything. So, I mean, imagine kids growing up in the Nordics in the best education system in the world, yeah, and moving from India. So, absolutely, I mean, it's of course a for profit business model, and we are here for revenue generation, but 
I have to say the social aspect of this job is what drives us. So, mm. um, like personally speaking, uh, do, how do you balance out your professional and personal life? Because now that you are a full-time entrepreneur and mm. you have a family as well, um, are you like, is it is it easy to balance it out or um, do you do you also face challenges? Hmm. So I think I've had a little bit of an outlier experience, perhaps, because, um, you know, my parents have been very, uh, I mean, they've had more dreams for me than I think I had initially starting out. So, I mean, the joke in the family was wherever I would move, my parents would move to give me that kind of an environment. So when I was moving to the U.S., Everybody thought, okay, now the two of them are going to move because Aditi is moving. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they have always been uh, people who have said, you know, we are here no matter what decisions you make, but you are intelligent, you've got all the opportunities and, you know, sky is the limit for you. Yeah, yeah. So that, I think, starting from a very young age has always been very helpful. So one mm. is that. Second, I think the partner you choose in your life um, to be your husband is also a very important one where I think I got extremely lucky because my partner is one who will probably drop everything if I have a a professional problem that I want to discuss with him Hmm. because, uh, you know, we are truly partners in that sense where we are very intellectually driven by what each of us has to say and think and, and all of that. And, you know, I do that for his job and he does that for mine. So we, yeah. we sort of have that. And I think we, we root for each other a lot, right? We've, we've got big ambitions for each other. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and more than that, um, I think it's the circle that you're in. Mm. You know, you're in a circle where everybody is a high performer and everybody is sort of... Uh, you know, doing very interesting things and thinking big. Yeah. You yeah. start to do that naturally. Yeah. And uh, because that's your circle then, you know, yeah. and you're always talking those kinds of ambitions with everybody around you, whether it's over a drink in the evening or it's uh, meeting for brunch on a Sunday. Yeah, because that's the influence that you have then. That's the influence and that's your circle. Yeah. So I think if you look at it in terms of a dartboard and your nucleus going outward, um, as long as the people around you are, are forever people who are that kind, you know, who mm-hmm. are who are thinking big, who who want to engage in topics which are intellectually stimulating and not who said what and you know that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think. You know, your, the way you think about life changes. So yeah. for me, therefore, personally, uh, initially, I was just lucky to have these people around me. But actively, I think the effort that I've made uh, is to cut out uh, the people I don't want to spend time with. Hmm. You know, so I'm yeah. quite careful with the curated group of friends I have and. Um, I, I, I really like to spend time with people who I can have conversations with and really just, you know, let go and free think and have differing opinions. But at the same time, um, you can have a civilized conversation, unlike yeah. what we're seeing on social media today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, you know, that makes sense. 
um and um just from a personal point of view um apart from asking about uh, balancing between your personal and professional mm-hmm. life um i read that uh, personally you are um an avid traveler and you love traveling i mean you love exploring mm-hmm. new cultures so mm-hmm. i would like to know more about that like um have you traveled enough or do you have more i'm sure you haven't traveled enough because nobody has traveled <laughs> enough but like what are the places that have actually touched your heart and that you just that that you think you will be visiting in the next 4 years or 5 years like because mm. every whenever someone travels there's always those few places that you know that oh, you know I'm coming back here mm. so um very good question and very close to my heart i must say um so firstly there's no traveling enough yeah uh, always i mean there's so many countries to go to so absolutely but um so i'm at i think i have this table running of the different countries i've been to and i think i'm at some 45 right now <laughs> but that's, that's pretty good. yeah but you know i'm 34 so it's it, i still have some time to go but i don't know when i'll be able to cover all the countries of the world but that <laughs> would be something i would love to do yeah um i think what drives me to travel is maybe it comes from uh, you know childhood perhaps because we you know my parents loved to travel yeah and when i was a child every second weekend or or so we would be out yeah. you know and of course this was not international traveling just domestically small towns just going and visiting even yeah. if it's just for a day so i think part of it is just in my dna hmm. but uh, just i think post my 20s i ended up traveling so much to so many exotic destinations be it in east asia or in africa or in latin america that i think i i, I just i'm so fascinated by people yeah and how uh, all these different cultures shape people to yeah. be who they are. you know just people on the Absolutely. street yeah meeting and shopkeepers and how they talk to you and i've got some crazy experiences uh, <laughs> both professionally and personally which are related to travel that have happened with me yeah i love so, like i'd like to know um, one of them <laughs> like the craziest that you've had <laughs> i think the craziest was um, when i was crossing this is before the arab spring when i was crossing from uh, beirut to uh, syria to damascus it was a they've got a huge national highway so i was uh, traveling from there for work and they've got a visa and immigration place which is at the cusp right before you're entering into damascus and when i was returning these guys at the immigration center it, there was nobody there it was okay. just me and tabi and i was all of 26 years old mm. and um, they decided to have some fun so i was inside this room all alone with three of these uh, you know uniformed guys on the other side okay and uh, they took my passport and they wouldn't give it back and okay. uh, here i was all alone um, of course i my phone was not working because these are you know i mean it's still 8 years ago Yeah so I didn't have a functioning phone on me um and I was quite scared honestly and they wouldn't I, I can only imagine yeah <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't give back the phone and the passport and they said um, we'll give it back only if you come back here and have tea with us that was their condition and okay. I was terrified 
Um, so I don't know what came over me, but I um, took out my phone, which was of course not functioning, but they didn't know that. And my passport was a diplomatic passport because I was working with the World Bank. So it's yeah. a true passport like yeah. that. And they knew that I worked for the World Bank. And I said, you know, no problem. I'll just call up the minister of so-and-so and uh, I'll just tell him that I'm having this problem and he'll deal with you. And I just took out the phone and I started dialing some number and I randomly said hello and then there was, of course, nobody there. Yeah. <laughs> this this, this seems like a, like a scene cut from a straight Bollywood movie, you know. Oh, gosh. I mean, trust me, <laughs> Bollywood was the last thing on my mind at that point. Yeah. Uh, they literally threw my passport from the counter. It hit the floor. And I remember just taking it. I was red. I was totally red-faced. I took my passport and I got into the cab and I left. <laughs> but it was, this is one of my scariest um, experiences. Yeah. But I've, I've got, I've got quite a few of, of these as well, but also fun moments. And a good hands-on trick too. And a good hands-on trick, which I'm happy to share with people here on your podcast. <laughs> yeah. If you'd like to know more about Magic Billion, log on to magicbillion.in. That's M-A-G-I-C-B-I-L-L-I-O-N dot I-N. Thanks for listening in and please subscribe to the show to catch the next episode. You can tweet at us or write a post tagging our social media handle at the rate Ronchora and let us know your thoughts on this episode. If you know a visionary that I should feature on this podcast, Write to me at swati at the rate launchora.com. This podcast is produced by Launchora, a storytelling and creative learning platform. Theme music is created by Diala Swain. She's a uniquely talented music producer from New Zealand. Do check out her music on SoundCloud or follow the link in the description. I'll see you guys next week with a new visionary. Have a great day.